name of Jesus. Amen. Who is Christ? Is he a God? Is he a prophet? Is he just a dead man? Is he one who only gives earthly blessings? Is he an apocalyptic teacher? Thus we are faced with the central question of who is the Christ. Who is the Christ? Well, if you ask the people of Islam, they say Jesus is a high prophet of Allah, the Arabic word for God, but not the son of God. Odd enough, the Islamic faith believes in the incarnation, the virgin birth, and the inspiration of Jesus. Yet they do not believe that Jesus is God and say that nowhere does Jesus or Allah call Jesus the Son of God or divine. Yet they are not afraid to say that Jesus will come back on the last day to judge the quick and the dead. So why do they deny the divinity of the Sonship of Christ? And how are we to counteract this false belief? Concerning the why of this belief, we must explore the history of the religions in that time spanning from 0 AD to 300 AD. Outside of Christianity, there were two schools of thought concerning the divine. The European, which had a more physical view, and the Middle Easterner, which had a solely spiritual view. For this sermon, we will just analyze the Greco-Roman and the Middle Easterner. The Greco-Roman view of the divine was living in this world and had physical bodies and could interact with the world and could create life with mortals, like Zeus creating Hercules and many of others that would be called demigods, or in simple plain English, half god, half mortal. While in the Middle East you had the mystic view that the divine was purely spiritual, but could influence the world, but could not have physical interaction with mortals, like creating life through normal... Um, human ways of creating life. Yes, I'm heavily tailoring this sermon to my audience, kids included. So thus, the Muslims would look at God as having a son who died for the sins of the world and rose for creation as purely impossible. Hence, the denial of Christ being divine could not be because he had a physical body. Now comes the counter to this belief in the transfiguration. In the Gospel of Mark, we hear the Father profess, This is my Son. Listen to him. Here we have the Father proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Yet Muslims will say that nowhere does Jesus call himself divine. But he invites Peter, James, and John to see him transfigured, or be transfigured. Why would Christ do this? if not to show that he is divine. Now we move to those who do not question the divinity of Christ, but what he was sent to do. I am sure you have heard of megachurches of 
Christianity, like Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland, and others that would say Christ is the one that will give us unlimited earthly blessings if we just have enough faith. What would this look like? If you listen to these supposed preachers of the word, you will hear a common theme. If you have enough faith, then God will bless you with earthly possessions like wealth, fame, and health. These false preachers would look at this text and tell you that you can attain what Jesus had on the mountain. After all, who was with him? You have Moses and Elijah. Moses was blessed to be the servant of God and free the enslaved Hebrews from Egypt. Yet with these false prophets, false preachers' standards, Moses would be considered, would not be considered a man of great faith. Since we know Moses did die and did not go to the promised land. He did not die with land or good fame. After all, the twelve tribes often held Moses in contempt for their situation. Just read Leviticus, well Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I promise you, on the foot, well, Cliff Notes edition, it's just, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Feed us, give us water, wham, wham, and wham. You know, that's all Moses heard. So thus, it has to be Elijah. You know, Elijah has to have great faith, since, you know, he never died, was taken right up to heaven. But we know that often, that, yeah, often Elijah questioned God and often was weak in faith and required God to tell him to get his act together and go profess judgment against the northern kingdom Israel. And when it was time for Elijah to leave, let's look at his life. He was by no means blessed with wealth. He was a prophet, wanted by Jezebel. Rather doubt the king and queen are sending that man money at all. He grew old. His health therefore waned. And definitely did not have good fame. Elijah, as I said, Elijah was constantly being hunted by the infamous Jezebel who sought to kill him every chance she got. Well, put into modern terms think of any good leader that you like and he's not well he or she is not put in the best light and is often haunted that's Elijah practically for you but ultimately Elijah was spared by God and taken to heaven as we heard in the Old Testament reading but we should not look at this as that he had perfect faith and was given this opportunity by his own merits. Now I know, I've given quite a few examples, a little bit of a history lesson, that I would expect us all to say that we would not follow it. The last example, though, is one we could quite easily fall into. The idea of Jesus as a good, moral teacher, and that we should follow him. Yet, if it was up to us, we would follow Jesus up to this point on the Mount of Transfiguration and beg him to become our earthly king and reign here and shower us 
with blessings and wisdom and food. We need to remember the path that the transfigured Christ has set himself on, coming off the mountain. The path that Christ sets himself is to another mountain, Golgotha, or commonly known as Calvary. The transfigured Christ set himself to fulfill the mission he had set to do at the fall of Eden. Christ would leave the mountain of divine glory to go to a mountain of absolute humiliation where he would die on the cross. Why? Why would he do this? To be seen as a failed prophet? To be seen as a failed Messiah? To be seen as a failed king of the Jews? By no means. He died on the cross for the sake of us, us sinners, so that we might be justified by his ultimate sacrifice for all the sins of the world. What then shall we do? Repent and believe in him so that we might be saved and become heirs of Christ. How do we gain these promises? In the resurrection of Christ. After all, we know that Christ is not dead, but he is alive. Then being baptized into Christ, we too shall rise on the last day and be made new. Till that last day, we continue to follow the Father's will and listen to the Son as do and do as he bids us. What does this look like? We baptize all into Christ and teach them in the faith. Then as we will shortly do, eat and drink the very body and blood that won for us forgiveness of sins. Therefore, do not be like the world that looks for earthly goods, but look forward to the reward that Christ has won for us on the cross and in his resurrection. To conclude, transfiguration teaches us two things. First, Christ is truly God and man. Second, it was God who died for our sins and rose for our sake that we too on the last day might rise to newness of life. Amen.